Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 232. We've got a whole lot to cover today, so let's get started. Um, We're going to pick it up where we left off yesterday. I didn't cover the tail end of chapter 9 in Romans, so let's drop down to verse 30 in chapter 9. It says, Israel's present state. And remember, Paul is is trying to get across to the uh, Israelites, to the Jews, um, trying to get them to shift their perspective from works to faith from believing uh, that the law will save them to uh, get them to understand that the key is faith. And so we go on, it says in uh, verse 30, what should we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have, have obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not achieved righteousness, the righteousness of the law. Because nobody could keep the law perfectly, Israel couldn't do it, so they didn't achieve righteousness. But he's saying that the non-Jews, the Gentiles, did achieve it or can achieve it through faith. And he says in verse 32, why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but uh, as if it were by works. Because the Jews uh, did not pursue righteousness by faith, they did it by works, and they couldn't do it. It says they stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. And the ones, and the one who believes on him will not be put to shame, and the one who believes on Jesus will not be put to shame. The one who believes, i.e. through faith, not by anything you can do, not anything that you can earn. It's a gift of God. If you earn it, it's not a gift. And so this is what Paul is trying to get across. So we continue on uh, in chapter 10. It says righteousness by faith alone. Paul continues with this thing that it is by faith, not by works, not by keeping the law. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. He's talking to the Jews. He's saying, my brothers and sisters, my hearts are for you. I pray to God concerning your salvation. It says, I can testify about them. I can testify about the Jews that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So Paul is saying that they're excited about God. They have a zeal. They have a fervency about God, but it's not according to anything that they know. It's not according to knowledge. It's not according to truth. In verse 3 it says, Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. See, they don't know of the righteousness of God. They're attempting to achieve it by their own righteousness. In other words, their belief in the law is how they're trying to achieve it. They have not submitted to God's righteousness because of this belief in the law, in the belief in works. In verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is a belief in Christ is the fulfillment of the law to everybody who believes. See, this is how you fulfill the law, not by works, but through faith in Christ. And so this is what Paul is trying to get across. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, so Moses writes about trying to achieve righteousness through the law. What he says is, the one who does these things will have to live by them. In order to fulfill the law, you have to fulfill the law, all of the law, all of the time. It's not possible. And it says in verse 6, But the righteousness that comes by faith speaks like this. This is how faith speaks. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven. 
that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down to the abyss, who will go down into hell, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, faith doesn't say who by their works is going to try to find the Messiah and bring him down, or who through his works is going to go down into the abyss and bring up the Messiah. In other words, through our earnest working, we are going to find him. We are going to somehow achieve it. And so even if uh, we, we, we take on the gospel of works, if you will, none of us knows, this, uh, have we worked enough? Have, uh, what we done, is it enough? Do I need to do more? Have I already achieved this righteousness? It, it's, it's a moving target. You don't know. See, In verse 8, uh, Paul says, on the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You don't, that's not how you do it. This is how you do it. And this is exciting because now we're going to detail what I've been going over for the past couple months, maybe three months, I don't know, at the end of each episode or most of the episodes when an invitation is coming forth, a proposition, if you will, is coming forth from Jesus. And so this is what Paul says in verse 9, and I've already quoted it numerous times. So it says, if you confess with your mouth, so this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not through works. This is the point Paul is trying to get through. Not uh, get to. Not through works. It's a belief and a confession. If you publicly confess with your mouth, and it's not an empty confession, because if you believe, in fact, in your heart, that Jesus is Lord. You see, it says that you will be saved. And in verse 10, for one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. It's for everybody. This belief is for everybody. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, period, end of story. It's over. The fat lady has sung. All you have to do is sincerely believe and confess with your mouth. See, that's how close salvation is. It's a belief and a confession, not through works. You can't do enough, see, because you, whatever you do, you'd have to always do it and never fail in doing it. That's not humanly possible. Salvation is through a belief and a confession. This is the point that Paul is trying to get across to his Jewish uh, brothers and sisters, and it's a call that we're trying to get across to everybody today because there's still a works mentality amongst many people, even us believers. There's still a works mentality that resides in the back of our heads. Israel's rejection of the message, verse 14. How then can we call on him that... The, how, then, can they call on him they have not believed in? How can you call on somebody you haven't believed in, is what Paul is saying. And how can they believe without hearing about him? You can't believe in something you haven't heard about, something you haven't been taught. How can you hear without a preacher? How can you hear without a herald? How can you hear without somebody to preach and teach? You see? And the key here is, is that we can all be preachers of the gospel. See? Because some people will only hear it if they hear it from you. They can hear the same words from somebody else, but they won't take it in because they don't have that spot 
of influence that they give to you. See, so how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See how beautiful your road is wherever you travel when you're bringing good news. And it is awesome news. There's an opportunity for eternal life as opposed to eternal damnation. That's awesome news. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. See, so faith comes by hearing. See, somebody achieves faith because they hear it from somebody else. And what do they hear? They hear this message, this gospel about Christ. The onus is on us to open our mouths and to speak the word, to speak the truth, to speak the good news. It's not on us to make somebody receive it. That's on them. But to deliver it, that's on us. Let's drop down here. Uh, matter of fact, let's go into chapter 11. And it says, Israel's rejection is not total. Not everybody rejected. I asked then, has God rejected, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. So Paul is, again, talking to the Jews. He asked God, have you rejected your people? God says, absolutely not. For I, too, am an Israelite. This is Paul, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. So Elijah gets to a point of frustration. He's pleading with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to take my life. But what was God's answer to him? I have left 7,000 for myself who have, not bound, who have not bowed down to Baal. So God is telling Elijah, no, I'm not going to destroy the people. No, because I have a remnant that have done, as I've said, they have not bowed down to a foreign idol. They have not worshipped an idol. In the same way, then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by uh, grace. So Paul is telling the people there are Jews. There's a remnant of Jews at this time who are choosing to hear and, 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 and ingest the message of Jesus. Not all of them are. In fact, most of them aren't. But there is a remnant that are. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. So Paul is telling him, look, this has to come by grace. It can't come by works because if it's by works, and I've already shown you how works doesn't work, then, but if it's by works, then grace doesn't exist here. See, so this comes by grace. Verse seven, then what? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. But those who, choose, who chose to believe, the elect, those who chose to believe, they did find this salvation. The rest were hardened. Verse 8, as, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. So the word is saying that God gave them or cursed them, if you will, so that they couldn't see or couldn't hear. Now, can we translate cannot into will not? Eyes that will not see and eyes that will not hear to this day. I don't know. But I do know that there are people today that either cannot or will not see, and they cannot or they will not hear to this day, this very day, this present day. There are many people that won't see and won't hear 
And that's just, that's what the word says. So we can't get frustrated or rejected or anything because the word says that's going to be the case. Israel's rejection not final. In verse 11, I ask then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Have they come to such a place where they've just fallen down and they can't get up? Is what Paul is propositioning to the people. You know, have the, Jew, have the Jews fallen and they just can't get up? Absolutely not, Paul says. On the contrary, by their, trans, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Because the Jews rejected, then this message has been received by the Gentiles. To make Israel jealous. See, that's the purpose. Go to the Gentiles in order to make the Jewish nation jealous. Now, if their transgression brings riches for the world, if the Jews who did not believe, that, that's uh, what the transgression is being called, if their trans, uh, transgression brings riches to the world and their failure riches to the Gentile, if their failure has brought these riches to the Gentile, the non-Jews who believe, how much more will their fullness bring? In other words, when the Jewish nation starts to realize who Jesus really is and acknowledge who he is, how much more will the entire world be blessed by that? Verse 16, now if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so are all the branches. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, so he's making an analogy with the Jewish nation. So you have the, you have the first fruits of, of like a plant or a tree. And it says if, if, if uh, the first fruits are holy, then the whole entire batch, the whole crop is going to be holy. Right. If only the root is holy, <clears throat> excuse me, or if the root is holy, so are all the branches. However, it says in verse 17. Now, if some of the branches were broken off. And you, though a wild olive branch, and so if you have a, uh, an olive tree, a cultivated olive, olive tree, right, and you have a wild olive tree, and the cultivated olive tree, some branches break off from it. And it says, and you, though a wild olive branch, and so it's come, talking about the Jews, a cultivated olive tree, the wild olive tree, the Gentiles, and it says, and if you, though a wild olive branch, and so a branch breaks off from the wild olive tree, were grafted into and among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. And so uh, a branch breaks off of the um, wild olive tree, but that branch is grafted into the cultivated olive tree. Then it says, do not boast that you are better than those, uh, than those branches that fell off. You see, so, so what it's saying is, <clears throat> You know, Gentiles essentially shouldn't think of themselves as better than the Jews because they've been grafted into the family of God. That's what Paul is trying to get across. He's talking to the Gentiles now. So don't feel, don't feel this way. He says, but if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. So he's trying to say, look, salvation first came to the Jews. They rejected it, not all of them, but some of them. And you were grafted in because of that rejection. But don't think you're better than the Jews, okay, because you're, you're a part of their tree. Then it says in 17, 19, then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. So you might start to think, well, they fell so I could come in, so I could take their place. Uh, place. Paul says, true enough, okay. However, they were broken off because of their unbelief, see, but you stand by faith. Do, uh, do not be arrogant, but beware. They were broken off for the only reason was because they didn't believe, not because they were less than you, but just because they chose not to believe. 
He says, you, you, you chose rightly. You chose to stand by faith. Therefore, you were grafted in. But he says, he, he warns, don't be arrogant. He says, because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. If you fall into disbelief, he's not going to spare you either. So don't be, uh, don't be arrogant, you see. And then it says in verse 22, therefore, consider God's kindness and severity, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you. He says, if you remain in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. In other words, God's severity uh, is, is, is reserved for those who fall into unbelief. Stop believing. But then it says, like those, um, if you remain in his kindness, if you stay faithful and stay believing, uh, he says, you'll be good. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. See? Never stop believing, basically, is the moral of this story. He says in verse 23, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, they will be grafted in because God, ha God has the power to graft, graft them in again. He said, even the ones that fell into unbelief, if they come back to a position of belief, they will be welcomed back into the family because of God's mercy. Verse 25, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. So he's saying that a part, not a total, because, you know, some believe. He says a partial uh, hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the number of the Gentiles that is to come in has come in. See, and so it's saying until, in other words, there will be a time when that will be fulfilled. And then it says in verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. In other words, uh, when the Gentiles have come into their fullness, into the things of God, then it says, then Israel will essentially awaken up and Israel, all Israel will be saved as well. Verse 30, as you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, so too, so they too have now disobeyed, disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they may also receive mercy. It says, the Gentiles, you once were in a position of disobedience towards God, but now you have received mercy through the Jews' disobedience. Paul is saying, look, you were once disobedient, but through the chosen people, through the Jews' disobedience, it says now you have recognized and received God's mercy. He says, they too have now disobeyed. And so since the Jews have disobeyed, then what happens is you need to be merciful towards them. See, <laughs> for God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. All have fallen into disobedience at some point in time. And it says that this is of God. God has done this so that all may receive mercy if they believe. All, Jewish and Gentile, doesn't matter. <clears throat> Let's go on to chapter 12. It says, a living sacrifice. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. In other, in other translations, it says, this is your true act of service, see, to uh, present your bodies as a li living sacrifice. How do you treat yourself? How do you treat your body? This can go into a lot of different areas. What do you feed your body? 
What do you allow your body to be exposed to? You see, uh, another uh, scripture uh, scripture said, you know, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How do you treat your body? It says that this is your true act of worship. How you treat yourself is, in fact, an expression or a manifestation of worshiping God. See, some people hate themselves and they don't treat themselves right purposely. That's dishonoring God. You want to worship God? Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Abstain from those things that harm your body. You know, now we can get to ridiculous extremes on this. And we don't want to do that because I don't believe that's what God is saying. But how you treat yourself is critical. It says, do not be conformed to this age. Do not give yourself over to today's cultural norms. See, a lot of things culture calls for is actually anti-kingdom. It says, don't be conformed by this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get in the word. Let the Holy Spirit reconfigure you so it can change the way you think. What you do is a manifestation of how you think. If you want to change the things you do, you have to change the way you think. Do not be conformed by this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You may discern what is the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. See, you have to renew your mind. You have to expose it to the Holy Spirit. You have to expose it to the Word. Many gifts but one body. For the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to. Don't think you don't think you all that because you're not. It says instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a, me, a measure of faith to each one. Don't think of yourself more highly uh, than you are, but also don't downgrade yourself more uh, more than you should either, either, because God has given to each one of us a measure of faith. That means that we can lean on others for their measure of faith. See, and so together we're greater than the sum. In verse 9, it says, now we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. So your finger doesn't have the same function as your foot, you know. So we have many parts but one body. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we belong to one another. We're different people. We have different strengths, different weaknesses. Together, we're much stronger. And it says um, in, uh, we're also members of one another. We lend our strengths to each other. It says in verse 6, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the uh, proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. Service. If teaching, use it in teaching. If exhorting, uh, use it in exhortations. Giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy and cheerfulness. In other words, whatever measure of the kingdom that you have been given by God, use it. Use it for the advancement of uh, other believers, uh, other brothers and sisters. Use it. Don't sit on it. Use it. Christian ethics, it says in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Amen. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. It says, take the lead in honoring one another. Don't wait for somebody to honor or respect you before you do it to them. If they blessed you, bless them. Honor them. Honor one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12, 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Share with your brothers and sisters in their needs. If you can do something to help somebody out, help them out. It's just produce, uh, produce, excuse me, pursue hopper. Why can't I talk? Pursue hospitality. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Uh Uh-oh. This is tough. This is tough. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be there for people when they're going through stuff. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Proverbs says, do not, be, do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not repay evil for evil. This is another one that, <laughs> that we always fall short in. Do not repay evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not take, or excuse me, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Man, we could preach a whole sermon on this. So do not avenge yourself. Leave room for the Lord to show his faithfulness. Because the word says, vengeance be mine. But this is another tough one. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. If you show kindness to your enemy, that will drive him crazy. How many of you have gotten into an argument with somebody else who refuses to argue and raise their voice back to you? All it does is make you matter. Why? Because they won't participate in your anger. If instead you show them kindness, it will drive them mad. Verse 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Let's go to verse 13. A Christian's duties to the state, to the government. This is a tough chapter. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Even these evil regimes, according to the way I read this, yes. Then it says, so then. The one who resists authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. And nowhere in here does it say, if you agree with your government, then do these things. doesn't say that. It says, those who oppose will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be uh, uh, do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good then and you will have its approval for uh, it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry a sword for no reason. So the government does not carry authority for no reason. The Lord is saying or Paul is saying, see, and again, nowhere in here does it account for the goodness or badness of the government it's speaking about. 
For it is God's servant, he's talking about the government, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Now, this could mean that it is God's servant, uh, it as far as the government is concerned, and it can bring wrath on those who do wrong. Now, what that means is it could do wrath to the government if they're not listening to God, or it could bring wrath to the person who's not listening to the government. Either way. Then it says in verse 5, Therefore you must submit not only because of the wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to those tasks. In verse 7, it says, Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe, you owe honor. It says nothing about love or affections. See, I think a lot of people get confused and they, they tie up their emotions and their love and affection towards the government, towards a political party or whatever. It says nothing about that. It says respect and honor. You can respect and honor somebody without giving over your love and affection for them. You see? You, can, you don't have to agree with somebody to respect and honor them. You can disagree and still respect and honor them. The next section says, love our primary duty. Uh, I'm going to hold this for tomorrow. I'll run out of time here. Uh, this is important because it gives some practical things with regard to how we're to interact with the governing authorities. And I think we do it wrongly. I don't care if you're in the United States. I don't care what political party you're in. I think that you allow yourself to tie uh, your emotions and your affections into candidates or parties or whatever. The word is not saying anything about that. And that is where I think we go wrong. And with that, we are finished for the day. You know, remember back in chapter 10 of Romans and the proposition that's made. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Everybody stay safe, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and should he grace us with another day of life, we'll see you in the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.